0: Welcome back to Redhead Reads, the podcast where I, a redhead, read a book with a friend. I'm your host, Rochelle, once again, and today I have my wonderful friend Ian with me of Raditas Games Podcast. Hello. All right, and we are continuing... Our journey into part one of A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We did stop uh, at the end of chapter three of the first part last episode. So we are beginning on chapter four, what John Rance had to tell.
1: These things are true.
0: These things are true. (laughs) All right, so Holmes and Watson go to visit John Rance. On the way there, Holmes explains how he came up with the cab conclusion. I'll just read this straight off from the book. The very first thing which I observed on arriving there was that a cab had made two ruts with its wheels close to the curb. Now up to last night we have had no rain for a week, so that those wheels, which left such a deep impression, must have been there during the night. There were the marks of the horse's hoofs, too, the outline of one of which was far more clearly cut than that of the other three, showing that that was a new shoe since the cab was there after the rain began and was not there at any time during the morning, I have Gregson's word for that, it follows that it must have been there during the night and therefore that it brought these two individuals to the house. Remarkable, Holmes.
1: <laughs> you could draw so much information from so little in so small details.
0: <laughs> so Watson asks Holmes how he knew how tall the man was. How could you
1: have possibly <laughs> known how, how tall the man was?
0: Even I figured this one out. Yeah. When you write something on a wall, you write it at eye level. Duh. Uh, He continues, The writing on the wall was done with a man's forefinger dipped in blood. My glass allowed me to observe that the plaster was slightly scratched in doing it, which would not have been the case if the man's nail had been trimmed. I gathered up some scattered ash from the floor. It was dark in color and flaky. Such an ash as is only made in trichinopoly. By a trichinopoly. Again. I said this last podcast. I'll learn English in a minute.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure that that's English, but fine.
0: (laughs) I mean, it is English. It's it's England English. Evidently, Anyway,
1: continue. (laughs) The ash of Trichinopoly is uh, um, well. A
0: Trichinopoly is a cigar. Yeah, I I probably didn't mention that last episode when I was referring to it. A Trichinopoly is a cigar. Yeah, I just (laughs) I know I know I know absolutely
1: nothing about. Cigars oh, or me or like what that means.
0: I know they smell funky. That's yeah. that's kind of it. That's all I got. I'm probably allergic to them because I am allergic to cigarette smokes. So I'm probably allergic to cigar smoke too. I don't know. No one ever sm- smoked a cigar in my presence before. Anyway, moving on. <laughs>
1: this is not the cigar podcast you were looking for. <laughs>
0: Uh, Alright, he also says that the writing on the wall was meant to throw the police off the trail, which I believe Ian and I already figured that out. (laughs) Uh, It was not done by a German. The A, if you noticed, was printed somewhere after the German fashion. Now a real German invariably prints in the Latin character, so that we may safely say that this was not written by one, but by a clumsy imitator who overdid his part. It was simply a ruse to divert inquiry into a wrong channel. So... We got some bad acting happening here by our murderer.
1: Well, you know, in fairness, it was an afterthought.
0: It was an afterthought. And he probably doesn't know German that well. I yeah. don't know German at all. He did a better job than I would have done, trying to write German on the wall in blood.
1: Probably probably better than <laughs> I had done, too. The whole mislead seems a little, little conceived, but...
0: A little bit. But it was, yeah. so...
1: <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> all right, so we finally get to hear from Rance. He said he had decided to check that all was well on Brixton Road. Uh, he said he didn't see anyone on the road, though a cab or two drove past him. He saw a light in the window of the house, uh, and he knew that no one was living there, because the landlord wouldn't take care of the drains, despite the fact that the last tenant died of typhoid. Yep. <laughs> Which, that's horrible that I found that hysterical, but I found that hysterical. 1800s, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he says, I was knocked all in a heap, therefore, at seeing a light in the window, and I suspected as something was wrong. When I got to the door, and Sherlock interrupts him here with, you stopped, and then walked back to the garden gate. What did you do that for? And Rant says he got scared that the ghost of the last tenant might be inspecting the drains that killed him.
1: I like how he's also like, <laughs> "What if you were there, then, like, you saw me? <laughs> like, this, this response... Because he's like, surely, like, you know, he couldn't have figured this out from looking at stuff.
0: Right, Evidence? <laughs> What's that?
1: <laughs> again, we're still establishing this whole concept yes. for the character yeah. that, at the time, was yeah. fairly it's outlandish. It's not really
0: fair of us to make fun of them, but it is funny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's how you write bit players who are just there for, true. for one or two narrative purposes. That's is... true.
0: Yeah, we don't see John Rance again after this conversation yeah. at all, so... Uh, Alright, Holmes asks if there was anyone on the street uh, when Rance was there. And he says, no one of importance, just a drunk in a brown overcoat that he had to prop up because he was so out of it. You fool! (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Holmes asks if the drunk was carrying a whip and Rance says no. I'm sure he was probably thinking... He must have left it behind. Random? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Holmes says he must have left it behind. And then uh, he starts making fun of Rance a little bit, saying that he'll never rise up the ranks in the police force because he doesn't use his head for anything but decoration. Yep. <laughs> That's really mean. <laughs>
1: Holmes, Holmes goes around making friends everywhere, doesn't he? He really um, does. I mean, this is... So this is... By this point, we can... Definitively, say, yeah. Sherlock's figured it, has out. figured it out. Oh yeah, he's definitely um, figured it out. The the at
0: least the majority of it. The if question not about the
1: whip is very it, like it is a huge indicator. That it's like okay, he knows who did this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: well, it's the only person there. I mean, process of elimination, but also right. other mm-hmm. evidence stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean the <laughs> the it's it's mostly the, a supposition he's come to based on just the tracks outside.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Holmes believes the drunk is the murderer. Yeah. And Watson's like, what? That's ridiculous. Uh, He says, why should he come back to the house after leaving it? That is not the way of criminals. And Holmes tells him he was coming back for the wedding ring. Yep. Chapter four was really short. That was all of chapter four. (laughs) Yep. So chapter five, our advertisement brings a visitor. So Holmes goes to a concert that afternoon And uh, Watson tries and fails to take a nap. I feel that on a personal level. Uh, He's way too excited from the events of that morning. So when Sherlock comes back to the apartment, he tells Watson that he's put an ad in the paper about a ring being found in Brixton Road that morning. Not that it was found in the house, that it was found in the road. So not necessarily connected to the murder. Uh, It reads... A plain gold wedding ring found in the roadway between the White Hart Tavern and Holland Grove. Apply Dr. Watson, 221B Baker Street, between 8 and 9 this evening. I love that he used Watson's name. Did not yeah. use his own name. I mean, it makes sense because he's probably relatively well known for helping. Within solve, within, yeah, within certain within right circles,
1: circles, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, he doesn't want to, you know, reveal his hand. Right.
1: right. Right. And no one knows who Watson is yet.
0: No no he's kind of new to the area i yeah. think anyway
1: Obvi- his his kind of speculation here is mostly just that it's a women's wedding band mm-hmm. and which there were I no women in the room which i they figured
0: that out by the fact that it was probably smaller right cuz statistically women have smaller hands than yeah. men I, i'm not not that every woman has a smaller hand than every man or anything but you know g- I generally
1: i mean they, you know and also like particular design, particular designs may or may not kind of lean towards one gender or another like yeah. at the time. But the you know, essentially his supposition being if it was two men in the room and there was a women's ring, then obviously that ring had to be of some kind of mm-hmm. emotional importance.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Which, you know, it as is. far as as far as deductive <laughs> leaps go, yeah. not a bad one.
0: No. No, that I can not I can't I can't snub that at all. So Watson asks Holmes who he thinks is gonna answer this ad, and he's like a murderer of course duh <laughs> i'm paraphrasing of course uh then he asks watson if he owns a gun which he does and he tells him that he should probably clean it and load it just in case so it's about to get real i
1: at least want to be prepared in yeah, case it does. in
0: case it does
1: <laughs> but you know if you're if you're about to come face to face with the with killer a, yeah. you're tracking
0: right i mean that's that's pretty that's pretty heavy
1: which is what they anticipate is going to happen
0: yeah So just around the time that Watson has finished loading his gun, they hear someone at the door, but it turns out to be an old woman claiming that her daughter lost the ring. Sherlock thinks she's obviously working for or with the killer, but they give her the ring, she takes the ring, she leaves, and then Holmes decides he's gonna follow her and see if she will lead him to the killer. So Watson waits for Holmes for three hours. He finally comes back. He says he followed her to a cab and he stowed away on the back of it. But when they reached their destination, the old woman had disappeared. And Holmes realizes that she must have been a young man in disguise. Okay, I have so many things to say about this. I hate this trope. Every time that TV shows and movies do this, it's clear that they're using a disguise, and I don't understand how the characters don't see through this. Like, why is this a thing? Have you have you noticed this? Like this is it happens a lot.
1: Well, so I will start by saying that the Sherlock Holmes stories
0: yeah, it are comes are, from this. are
1: are probably what set that precedent to a no small extent. Me so is much. Uh, um, people is cuz Sherlock also makes a big thing in future stories of quickly assembling disguises that mm-hmm. are apparently completely convincing
0: i you know i've never seen this done in any movie tv show whatever it be where it's convincing to me i can always tell
1: right but how do they not tell but uh, I will say the context of seeing it in a movie or TV show is a different context than if you were actually interacting with somebody, especially if it's somebody who you kind of wouldn't be looking at super closely. Now, in this case, they would be.
0: Yeah, and that's
1: and that's what that's the main sticking point to me is this is someone that they would be. Yeah, looking they're at definitely
0: going to be analyzing her every move. Um,
1: so yeah, like there 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 are some issues here but that's um, probably
0: that's that's one of the biggest problems that i have with this honestly like that's maybe an odd thing to fixate on but it drives me nuts
1: but here's the other thing i i just kind of want to say mm-hmm. first of all this is the only time we see this character yeah who gives sherlock the slip and outplayed them convincingly, and is never convincingly named. we
0: never find out who and it's just gone is.
1: so like it's one of those things where i'm like look Points to this person, to this guy, right?
0: I mean, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's just like, you know, when we get the reveal at the end, it's just like, yeah, no, my, my buddy just just was like, oh, I'll do this for you, and then was really good at it. Yeah,
0: and then he's like, I ain't no snitch. I'm not gonna tell who my friend was.
1: Yeah, and that's it. And,
0: and kudos to him for, you know, not doing that.
1: Like, points, <laughs> points across the board. I'm... Uh, But, like, also, I... I
0: I just hate the stroke. I I
1: kind of have to... Like, it's also... You also get that moment where Sherlock's like, but who was that person that beat me? I must know. And he's like,
0: eh. Yeah. It's chapter six. Tobias Gregson shows what he can do. In this chapter, Watson and Holmes read in the newspaper that the police think the murder was politically motivated due to the German word written on the wall in blood. It also says the deceased had been staying at the boarding house of... And I'm gonna butcher this name... Madame Charpentier in Tor- Torquay Terrace? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with staying with his private secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson, which we've heard that name before, Holmes goes on about how Gregson and Lestrade always take credit for his work. Uh, which we touched on that earlier did you have any more you wanted um, to go i on? mean
1: you know just to throw in that like it makes sense for the police to kind of want to instill the idea that they're on top of things yeah. uh to to everybody which um, i get i i you know i will say that this chapter is what solidly uh <laughs> puts lestrade over gregson in my yeah. book but you know part of uh part of the really important thing about Police work, leadership positions, exact and whatnot is knowing when to defer to people with other specialties. That's true, and I do feel like Lestrade does that better than Gregson. Particularly here, okay. we do we are about to get a display of yeah. Gregson.
0: Gregson kind of thinks he's he's the beast. He thinks, he's, thinks yeah. he's Sherlock. He thinks <laughs> he's, he's Sherlock. Not. L- Lestrade understands that he is not Sherlock,
1: right? And as a result, gets some actual. Decent police work. He done.
0: does. He does. I'm actually really, really uh, into Lestrade l- 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 <laughs> yeah. with this this yeah. section. Like he does a great job. So uh, some street kids come in to talk to Holmes, which I I liked this part. I thought this was really cool. He asks them if they've found it. No expansion on what it is, mm-hmm. uh, but they haven't. Holmes pays them and sends them on their way. Then Gregson shows up and announces that he's arrested the killer, Arthur Charpentier the son of the boarding house owner. He says he noted the make of the hat lying next to the body and followed that lead to the boarding house where Madame Charpentier told him that Mr. Drebber had been making passes at her daughter Alice, so she kicked him out, as she should have. But instead of leaving quietly, he tried to take Alice with him by force and Arthur attacked him. I do not see how Arthur is in the wrong here at all.
1: Yeah, this is a, a creepy anecdote that is made creepier later. Yeah. By information you get.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, Drebber and Arthur both ran off, and Madame Charpentier wasn't really sure what happened after that. So, yeah, Gregson found Arthur, and he's arrested him, and uh, Arthur claims that he followed Drebber until Drebber got into a cab to get away from him, and then he didn't see him again. Then the Strahd shows up, and he tells them all that Stangerson has been found murdered. Dun, dun, dun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Because he actually did some
0: police some work. police work yeah.
1: that that didn't didn't. <laughs> Which, re-
0: to be fair, following the trail of the top hat, that was a good idea that Gregson had. Yeah that that was that was legit. I don't fault him for that. His <laughs> process of where that led him, not so much.
1: He he wanted to be able to to show off that he'd solved the case, exactly. and because of that, allowed he himself to, to jump to hero. conclusions. Yep. And you know that's not like I, that's an understandable impulse but not good for a policeman.
0: No. I mean it's not really good for anybody to jump to conclusions all the time because that's going to lead to mistakes and it's going to lead to prejudices and historic, be doing that.
1: historically though at the time that's how a lot of cases got closed.
0: I know, and that, and that really terrifies yeah, me. Yeah,
1: cuz they didn't always get the right person. And they
0: never found Jack the Ripper.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot there, to unpack about this. There's a lot to unpack, unpack here. And, you know, strictly speaking if it weren't for the news Lestrade's about to deliver, this could have been how the case ended. It could have
0: been. Well, I don't think Sherlock would have let that happen. Sherlock already knew the truth. But if Sherlock had not been involved, that's totally how it would have ended up.
1: I do want to say I I am amused by the fact that, like, Sherlock just lets Gregson go off on this (laughs) entire long theory and is like, oh... what wow how did you come to that conclusion and like really leads him along but in clearly clearly just nailing his foot to the floor where he's like nah buddy
0: that's so funny too. Yeah, he totally does that. I mean, wouldn't you though? I totally would. I just sit there and let him spin his little web and then be like, "Well, actually."
1: <laughs> well, and and it only works because Gregson is so impressed with
0: himself. He is super um, impressed. With he's himself. he's so just he's like very guest on from Beauty and the Beast yeah. in this moment. He like really, is. honestly,
1: because honestly, some of this information could have been pertinent depending on what angles you decided to chase the stuff. So so if he come in with a like. I do have some information to update you on. Mm-hmm. That would be a very different conversation right. than this. This is like a, oh, I've done your job. We don't need you anymore. Like, yeah. whole, whole, like... Yeah, uh, like, he's
0: there to gloat. Yeah. It's done. He's there to gloat. I did it. Yeah. No, you didn't.
1: You didn't work fast enough. <laughs>
0: yeah, right.
1: Um, and... Uh, you're
0: not going to show up Sherlock Holmes, you're, man. You're all not... of your
1: fancy, <laughs> fancy deductions uh, just just don't measure up to... Basic police work like mine,
0: <laughs> which Gregson's not a bad detective. He's she, he's not.
1: And Sherlock actually concedes that I like, actually right, said, well, yeah. I mean, like in his kind of demeaning way of like they're yeah, the best, they've God. But um,
0: <laughs> but yeah, he definitely he definitely made a bad move here. <laughs> he got but, in his own way.
1: But Lestrade does find
0: he does. important information he here, does, yeah. which is uh, <laughs> another body. <laughs> he does, Yeah. Uh, so Stangerson was found holed up in a hotel room. They found him huddled up next to uh, an open window in his nightdress, dead with the door locked from the inside. He had been stabbed on the left side, and the blade had apparently hit his heart or nicked his heart. I think it said it nicked his heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the best part is that the word uh, "rah" is written in blood above him. <laughs> so sticks, we're doing, we're sticks doing this with again. Sticking with it. This time, there was a witness. Bom, bom, bom. <laughs> the milk boy saw a man climbing out of the window on a ladder and assumed he was a workman so the boy said that he was tall and wore a brown coat and Lestrade found evidence that the killer had washed his hands in the basin inside of the hotel room and wiped his knife off on the sheets he also found a telegram that says J.H. is in Europe. We don't know who J.H. is yet, but it's probably going to be important (laughs) So, he also found a pillbox on the windowsill with two pills in it. What is this nonsense?
1: Oh, I'm sure it's not important.
0: Oh, probably not. No. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. It has nothing to do with the murder. Uh, Holmes asks if Lestrade has the pills with him. He does. So he gives the pillbox to Holmes. And Holmes has Watson take a look at them, because he's a doctor. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and, and then we have the... You remember the the dog you conveniently are supposed to put down downstairs. Yeah, this
0: was this was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's, plot contrivance. Uh... Whatever they need to do. But another of the issues I have with this story. Yeah, they were trying to
1: they they wanted to find a humane way to like narratively to be able to be like, oh, this is.
0: Yeah. Holmes is is like, Watson, why don't you go get the landlady's dog that's been sick and who she asked you to put out of its misery yesterday? Because that's a thing that happens. So he goes and he gets the dog and Holmes cuts up one of the pills, uh, cuts it in half and he puts one half in some water to dissolve and he lets the dog drink the water, and then he waits. Yeah, nothing nothing happens. happens. So he cuts up the other pill, and he puts half in some water, and he gives it to the dog, and the dog almost immediately keels over and dies. Which, I am not a fan of animal death in anything ever. I This is a more humane way to do it. The dog was dying yeah, and it needed I to mean, be put down. I get that. I still don't like it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm still I mean, not going to
0: be happy about it.
1: They clearly you know it was a plot convenience where they're like we have to oh, find yeah. some way to prove that that one of these pills is poison and the other isn't because that's plot significant
0: right that yeah that's the whole point of uh, this, this entire <clears throat> exchange
1: and that's just how conan doyle f- decided to do it there are probably much more elegant ways and it is is one of those things it where it's like clunky. this is this is oddly convenient and also like let's give our characters an out so they're not like just killing an animal out of mm-hmm. like like you know
0: we just happen to have this dog who is suffering miserably and we need to do something about it. Yeah.
1: Which, you know, does happen and isn't entirely implausible, but it is very convenient. It is very convenient. For the purposes of this plot. It's unbelievably convenient. And, you know, it's the sort of thing where, well, you know what though, there, Doyle does that.
0: I feel like this is the kind of thing that you would get marked down for in a creative writing class.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it it, it, it really is, is too convenient. It's implausibly convenient a situation to yeah. have. But, you know, take it in stride, move on. It needs to serve a purpose in the plot. Yeah. And so. It's,
0: yeah, ugh, I still, it's, it's clunky. Yeah. All right. Everyone but Sherlock is still confused. And Gregson's like, look, Holmes, we know you know who the killer is. Cut the suspense and just tell us. Yeah. So one of the street kids from earlier comes in and says that Sherlock's cab is waiting downstairs. And Holmes asks him to ask the cabman up to help carry his luggage, and everybody's kind of like, "Are you going somewhere?" So the guy comes upstairs, the the cab driver, and Sherlock introduces him as Mister Jefferson Hope, the murderer of Enoch Drebber and of Joseph Stangerson. Of course, the There's, guy freaks out. <laughs> not,
1: not yet. No. Not just yet. No. Okay. Because because first he pulls out a set of handcuffs from, oh, I did from dresser. About the dresser, and, and he go and and he starts talking to the and was like you should really start thinking of implementing these type of handcuffs because like as a pretense yeah, he invented, for why he'd like, have them. Yeah. yeah, and uses that as an excuse to get the handcuffs out mm-hmm. fairly unassumingly and get close to yeah. Jefferson Hope. I think he and gets then, the one arm. And then he just yeah. really quickly just goes,
0: I got him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, of course, at this point, the guy freaks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He breaks a window, <laughs> intending to jump through it. But Gregson and Lestrade catch him and cuff him the rest of the way, yep. the other arm. And that is the end of part one. So,
1: <laughs> Shifting gears now. Shifting
0: gears, exactly. This is what we were talking about so, in the first episode. Where... So I want
1: to I want to pause for just a moment and say, I listened to this in an uh, audiobook. Mm-hmm. So, so it says Stephen Fry reading Sherlock Holmes to me. It was really Yay, great. I Stephen loved Fry. it. But I was suddenly, like, wondering if... Uh, it had jumped to the wrong book. Yeah. Because as soon as part two starts, it is
0: it's a totally different, completely book.
1: different tone. Yep. No explanation for what for us jumping. a different setting and and in fact, All part, different characters. Part one ends with like we got the guy, and then Holmes turns to everyone and is like, any questions anyone? And then cuts, and yep. suddenly we are somewhere totally different.
0: Yeah, we're we're in America. We're in Utah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. a <laughs> um, little bit of a gear shift. From uh, London?
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: Incidentally, sorry for accidentally making you break your rules for uh, selecting books cuz I did not know this would be a western. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of an unwritten rule that I have with this podcast. I don't read romances or westerns ever.
1: <laughs> so up until the end of part 1, this story was pretty much exactly what I anticipated mm-hmm. it would be.
0: And then part and 2 And then part 2 happened and I was like,
1: sorry, what now? So it, it is took, though. It took me a bit before I actually figured out, no, this is the same story, keep going. Because it was such such a jarring jump.
0: Most people who have read this have had it. Well, what I
1: wonder is um, since a lot of Doyle's early Sherlock Holmes publishings were in like literary journals, mm-hmm. I wonder if these two were broken up over a couple issues. So that that's way, so that way, part two would pick up and feel like you're starting its own story, a different story. That's a good but point. But connects back into that. It first does
0: feel word. that way.
1: Yeah, that's what I think. Okay. And this, this that's is legit. That's what I think about this thing that is very easily verifi- verifiable, mm-hmm. and I should have verified it first <laughs> and just said this is what they did. But no, I'm just speculating. This is probably what happened.
0: It's probably what happened. No need to fact check. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> So, part two, the country of the saints, and all that implies. So, (laughs) the story takes a hard left from here, is what I wrote down. (laughs) Suddenly we're on the plains. I I wrote somewhere in Nevada or Colorado, but that was because I was writing this as I was reading it, and I did not realize that we're in Utah. We're with a very malnourished and weather-beaten dude who's on his last leg. He's decided that this is as good a place as, as any to die. To be, to be be fair, this at
1: this point, he's put some effort into not dying. He
0: has. But he has been traveling seem to be quite a out. while. He has run out of water. Well, at that point, there's not much you can do if and you he, haven't found water.
1: And he's not alone. He's and gotta... he is
0: not. He sits down and he swings the pack that he's carrying over his shoulder uh, to the ground. There is a five-year-old girl inside this pack.
1: Yep. Her parents have not fared as well out here.
0: They have not. That's that's the first thing she asks. Where, mm-hmm. where mother is? It's a good question. It is a good question. But, I'd say yeah, and I'm i certainly top ten. His, his you know he was gentle with her, about it. he just says, "Oh, she's gone. She went elsewhere." But he reckons that they'll be together again soon.
1: Yeah, and which she's is nice, and she's genuinely comforted by she this. She is. She is. Um,
0: I don't know if she realizes that he means I... that they're probably going to die and be reunited that way or not well but well
1: he doesn't say you're going to be together he soon he says i think we're going to die soon and she's like oh okay well then i'll be seeing my parents soon anyway so okay. like sh- yeah. she's the one who makes that connection and he's like oh all right yeah you seem to be taking this pretty well um, and she does take it pretty well obviously. yeah not quite how th- things pan out but you know. no no
0: all right, so the man tells the little girl that they have run out of water and that they're going to die. And she tells him she doesn't think God made this part of the country, that someone else must have because they forgot to add water and trees. Yep. <laughs> Which, my morbid sense of humor found that adorable. He asks her if she will pray for them because he's forgotten how, and they kneel down together and they pray, and then they curl up and fall asleep. I thought that was really sweet. In a, in a sad way, but it was really sweet. So yep. then something unexpected happens. A caravan of travelers comes up, and this guy wakes up, and there's all these people looking at him. Uh, he introduces himself to them as John Ferrier, which I don't think I would have done. I would have been a little more wary and been like, um, who are you? <laughs> Before just being like, oh, hi, I'm Rochelle, how are you?
1: Well, he, he phrases it pretty well later, which yeah. is like, what else is he going to do? I
0: mean, that's fair. That That's her only option for rescue. He tells them that he and the little girl are the last of their caravan. And the rescuers ask if she's his daughter, and he says she is now, because he saved her. From here on, she is Lucy Ferrier. So Ferrier asks who all these people are in this new caravan, and finds out that they are a group of Mormons having left Novo, Illinois, in search for a better place to live, away from religious persecution. They tell Farrier that they will take him and Lucy with them if they convert to Mormonism, and Farrier agrees.
1: Yeah, that, that's when he says, like, I guess, I don't really have much other choice, right? He,
0: he does not he does not have another choice at this point, no.
1: Um, I will point out the character hypocrisy of we're trying to avoid religious persecution, uh, given,
0: given what, what is coming. I, I want to say that we are not doing any bashing here at all yeah the the events that happen in this story are one example of one group of people it is not a generalization about well, any one of this faith it, it should i i don't see it that way y- i know you don't see it that yeah. way the- i don't want anyone to to feel like we're being negative here towards right. a particular so, religion, because so we're not.
1: Cutting to the chase, I will say, Conan Doyle's portrayal of Mormonism is in this story is, racist. is is very racist.
0: Isn't the right word, but prejudiced. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's 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 prejudiced. I mean, you know, it's very othering. He needed a villain for he his did. piece, and he so did. this is this. And is, he picked the Mormons. This is what he what he picked. In and general, to him, yeah. these were people in another country, yep. in another like in a in a yep. lawless land in another yep. country. So, I will say that there is... I mean, you know, he he is drawing upon some troubling history that yeah. did exist. Yeah. But this is a um, work there of... Is, there is yeah.
0: basis, in fact, in some of this stuff. But, but this
1: this is a work of fiction, and it is a work of fiction by someone mm-hmm. who, who didn't think yeah. there'd be a consequence to, like, othering this right. group. And, well, st-
0: there are bad apples in every bunch. Yes. There are also really, really good apples in every bunch. Yes. So... We, Ian, and I are not making generalizations on this podcast. We are simply reading to you what happens in this story written by a man who is not us.
1: (laughs) I'll also say, I had no idea any of this was coming. Neither Um, did I. (laughs) This is, but this also, this entire half of the story isn't a mystery. The mystery has been answered.
0: All this is doing is explaining why the murderer murdered.
1: Is villain backstory, except villain uh, uh, antagonist backstory, I guess is more. Right,
0: yeah, villain's not really the right right word because I'm totally with him.
1: Yeah, no, it's...
0: 100% with him on this. I definitely, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Two out of two murders approved.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are not advocating murder. I also want to say that. Never, know. (laughs) No. self defense only
1: <laughs> ultimately they'll do a, they do a good job of illustrating how while this is arguably justice it's also like he goes down the rabbit hole he does this. he he does just go just because very it's justice extreme. doesn't
0: necessarily make it the right thing to do
1: right there's also a, an element of divine providence here, because mm, he has mm-hmm. this whole element of, like, he doesn't want to kill them inherently, but he's going to put them in a position where God will decide and God will kill them.
0: Yeah. Um, which we'll get to. Yeah, we will. And well, <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful. I have he's, no issues with that portion of the book. He, Hope is an interesting character. He is a super interesting character. Arguably one of the more interesting antagonists of anything I've read. Yeah. Honestly. Especially in a short story.
1: And... And more interesting than his counterpart in Sherlock, like mm-hmm. his counterpart in Sherlock is is a fun, interesting villain to have. But We're is referring a to the BBC yeah, version, yeah, the BBC of Sherlock, Sherlock, Sherlock. Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman. But is a villain.
0: He is. Um, he is a villain. And
1: they decided to do a Moriarty tie-in, which is fine. But the the Moriarty. I mean, was, I'm not was... going to be
0: ba- mad at it because the guy who played Moriarty was unbelievable. Yeah.
1: But you know, but this is me. <laughs> this predates Moriarty's conception. Mm-hmm. This this By a predates, lot. yeah. Doyle didn't know how much Sherlock and Watson were going to catch on no. so the fact that this half of the story stars other characters it wasn't a mislead it wasn't a, it was just a like hey this is the other half of this story mm-hmm. over here
0: Well I mean it makes sense from a realistic standpoint yeah. actually because yeah it's not going to have the same characters running around in it when you're telling the backstory of why this guy did what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, no, it's very realistic. You know,
1: it's kind of, it's kind of reminds me of, I did eventually, uh, not too long ago, read, a uh, mm. uh, Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is the first Poirot novel. Mm. And he's kind of an eccentric side character. A side character? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely featured and oh. he's, and he's who solves the mystery, but he's, well, yeah. he's not like, um, That's
0: cool. I that. he's not
1: like, uh, the focus on the story is very much on the characters involved in the mm-hmm. the world in which the crime took place, the people emotionally affected by the loss, the, the murder that happens. Okay, spoilers: there's a murder in the murder mystery novel. What? Yeah,
0: I never would have guessed that.
1: All right, let's let's reel it back in. Yeah, really, back <laughs> back. <laughs> get back
0: in. Back, back to the topic. Uh, we are chapter two, "The Flower of Utah." Uh, in this chapter, we learn about the four elders of the Mormon caravan under the leadership of Brigham Young. Uh, Which that name, at least, is historical fact. I don't know about these others. I have not uh, researched that. I guess I could. Stangerson, which we've heard that name. Kimball, Johnston, and Drebber. Again, we've heard that name. (laughs) (laughs) These are the two last names of the two dead men. Are these the same men?
1: Probably a coincidence. It's
0: probably a coincidence. That's probably fine. (laughs) Uh, So Lucy gets pretty close to the... I said Stangerson. uh, Stangerson, I think is what I'm going with. Stangerson family. Uh, Yeah and commits. <laughs> and and Farrier, who, he, Farrier seems to uh, have a pretty good head for business. He helps them all set up Salt Lake City. And he does pretty well for himself financially. Ferrier's a cool dude. He is a cool dude. I really like him a lot, actually. Yeah. So the only thing that the elders take issue with, with Farrier, is that he refuses to marry. He wants nothing to do with it, and they cannot understand why he is not you know, just conforming. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's the word I'm going to use.
1: Um, but they do take quite issue
0: with that. They do. They take a lot of issue with it. Yeah, like they're they're getting kind of like, hey, you need to,
1: to get to, in his
0: face a little bit. Yeah. And so some years go by, and Lucy grows into a beautiful young woman. She goes into town one day on an errand for her adoptive dad, Ferrier. And uh, somehow or other, she finds herself in danger of being trampled by some cows. That whole that whole uh, segment went real, real fast. Yeah. And i, cu- I followed it, but I kind of was confused. And the, so I just i she there was some danger of her being trampled by cows. I'm not entirely sure how she got herself into that situation. Her horse like went nutty or something.
1: The meat cutes kind of glossed over. The
0: meat cute is kind of glossed over. <laughs> <clears throat> uh yeah she's saved by a strange man she's never seen before but he's cute <laughs> um he asks her if she's john Ferrier's daughter and she says yes which you know random how do you know john farrier well, he's got a
1: reputation in yeah. town at this point he's, well, he's a this is a new guy though. savvy businessman yeah,
0: all right so this guy this 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 new guy in town introduces himself as he's jefferson n- hope
1: he's networking he's networking
0: uh, and he tells her that his dad and her dad used to be good friends back in st louis so apparently farrier is from st louis whether lucy is or not i'm not sure the right. farrier seems to be from st louis or at least he lived there for a time so lucy invites this guy back home to meet farrier to- because, you know, they know each other. So that uh, he can thank Jefferson for saving her life. And Jefferson goes. He ends up visiting quite a lot, actually. He tells Ferrier and Lucy all these stories about California and his adventures panning for silver. And, of course, Lucy and Jefferson fall in love. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so then one day Jefferson comes by and he tells Lucy that he's going away for a couple of months. But then when he comes back, he wants her to marry him. He's already talked to Ferrier and he's agreed so that's happening
1: yep it's it's this this story's version of the like it's my last day before retirement or we're just about (laughs) to get the well the the like you know the the, any of the like cop dramas where someone's like oh yeah i'm about to retire or something and then they die because they're 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 so you always it's the like oh look things die we know he doesn't die but it's the setup of like things are about to be really great and happy between us yeah, and like just to yep. set up the the narrative fall from that of like, oh things are about to get real bad.
0: Yeah, it's like it's it's the Romeo and Juliet moment. Yeah, See, <laughs>
1: it is a it is a tried and true. uh it works. Narrative trope.
0: I mean, it's been used enough. It definitely. All right, so we're. That's the end of chapter two. Chapter three. You, you
1: can just stop there. It's it's this as happy as this is gonna that get. That is
0: as happy as it's gonna get. Yeah, no no happy endings here, guys. Yeah. Sorry if if that's what you were hoping for. Don't read Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Chapter three, John Ferrier talks with the prophet. So at this point, Arthur Conan Doyle starts telling us about the Danites, uh, also known as the avenging angels, which I did do research on. According to Wikipedia, mm. because fact-checking. They were a fraternal organization founded by Latter-day Saint members in June 1838 as a vigilante group determined to drive out internal dissension among the Mormons. So, basically, for the purposes of this story, at least, if you were living in the community and you started speaking out against the leaders of the church, these guys might make you disappear. Yeah. I mean, this is... I don't is... know how historically accurate that part is, but that is the direction that this story is going. And
1: Yeah from from my, from what little knowledge I have this part is pretty well rooted in at least yeah. real events at least inspired by real events. Okay. This particular I
0: don't have a lot of knowledge of the Mormon faith. Yeah. I know that you probably do a little bit more than I do because eh, you've, you've known lot. more people that practice Mormonism than well, me. Well,
1: but modern Mormonisms Oh yeah. completely totally
0: different. different.
1: But yeah, I mean, you know, some of the history here Enough of it is accurate to be genuinely uncomfortable. But it is also important to realize that this is a work of fiction. Yes, so like definitely like it's it's a weird f- foot in each door sort of situation mm-hmm. where it's like eh, I encourage you to look into this history yourself is, is what I, you is go. what I say.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Make your own I'm, I'm
1: not I'm by no means qualified to inform you of it, but there is Mm-mm. some history to look into here.
0: No, well <laughs> I mean you're more qualified than some people because you are the son of a history professor.
1: What? <laughs> yes, my genetically inherited historical knowledge. Uh, but no, I mean, I yeah, it's uh, this is not exactly Dad's area of specialty. Probably but, not. No. But still.
0: Uh, all right. So three weeks after uh, Jefferson leaves, Brigham Young himself comes to visit Farrier. Which, wow. Yeah. You you wrote a historical or a historical figure who actually existed. Into your novel. So he comes to visit Farrier, and uh, Farrier knows that this is not going to be good. Young says that he's heard a rumor that Lucy is engaged to a Gentile, uh, which is apparently against Mormon law at that time. Young tells Farrier that Lucy has to marry a Mormon, and threatens what might happen to them if she doesn't. He says that uh, Stangerson and Drebber each have a son, and that she has a month to choose which of them she wants to marry. It's not a lot of time to decide whether or not you're going to marry somebody. Just saying. So after Young leaves, uh, Lucy comes out and she's she's heard this whole conversation and she's like, what are we going to do? Uh, And Farrier says that he'll write to Jefferson and that they may have to consider packing up and getting the heck out of Dodge. Good call. Probably. That's chapter three. That's a super short chapter. That's like what, a page, two pages maybe that chapter was? I don't
1: know. I listened to it
0: fairy <laughs> you were on the audiobook <laughs> i was reading it online because it's available online for free so anybody who is not reading along with us you have no excuse <laughs> none <laughs> uh all right chapter four a flight for life the next morning farrier goes into town to send his letter to jefferson secretly through a messenger he trusts when he gets back there are two guys hanging out in his living room which it's kind of scary. They introduce themselves as the sons of Drebber and Stangerson. So not the dudes from before that were the four elders. These are their kids. So Stangerson tells Farrier that he only has four wives and Drebber has seven. So it might be better for Lucy to pick him. But Drebber does not agree. He says he's richer. He can take care of her better financially. Ferrier gets pretty angry and tells them to get out. Yeah. And unfortunately
1: this is the big misplay here. It is. is a a great guy, but he needed to play along a little bit since they were biting for time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. And There's
0: so many different ways he could have handled this that yeah. would have turned out better. It's a shame. <laughs> I, this is I understand standing your ground and being like, "Hey, I'm not okay with this. This is not what I'm gonna do." And but that is
1: that is in, incredibly brave and absolutely. very noble. Oh yeah,
0: he's, he's,
1: in this he's particular the most noble situation, in
0: this situation, in my opinion,
1: in this particular situation, he probably should have like more noncommittally been like, "Guys, guys, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about. You this. You gotta give Let's, the
0: politician yeah. answer. Um,
1: yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. So that way you kind of keep yeah. the question in the air without." <laughs> tipping your hand, and this right, was exactly. and this was uh, dramatically throwing his hand down on the table, mm-hmm. and been like...
0: Yeah, he's like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. No, you guys get out, get out of my house, I don't want to see your face.
1: Made it very clear that he was... Yeah.
0: Very dangerous thing yeah. to do. So, he tells them not to come back until Lucy calls on one of them. Obviously, that does not go over well, and it almost comes to blows, but then Lucy intervenes, and the guys leave. So, Farrier tells Lucy that he'd rather see her dead than married to either of them, and she agrees, which feels really foreshadowing.
1: I mean, it's hard to say foreshadowing per se. They knew it was possible. Like, they yeah. knew that this is the direction things were heading. Yeah. And I do think it's a little presumptuous for him for him to have said it first. But, you know, I can understand her feeling that way. Like, yeah. him being like, yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, they're not really off the mark because what happens next the next morning farrier wakes up and someone has literally pinned a note to his blanket that was on his chest while he slept
1: also to mention he took precautions the night before to like lock it up he did uh, yeah
0: somebody literally like broke into the house in. and pinned a note to his blanket touched his person could have killed him right yeah. then yeah that's terrifying yeah. to me yeah. scale
1: of one to ten threatening it's solid, solid nine, nine point five, maybe. Oh,
0: I was gonna say it's an eleven. Oh, fair. Enough. <laughs> okay, so the note says twenty-nine days are given you for amendment, and then dash dash dash. That's actually how it's written in the story. So, yeah, that's not threatening at all.
1: Well, at least someone, at least someone had a firm grasp of the dramatic tension, so that right. way they could really make good use of their punctuation. They for that. really
0: did. That's super elevated. Yeah. So the next morning, it gets scarier. Uh, Lucy and her dad are sitting down to breakfast when she notices that someone has burned the number 28 into the ceiling. These guys are not messing around. So he sits up all night with his gun. He doesn't see or hear anything out of the ordinary. And yet the next morning, the number 27 has been painted on his front door. These guys are
1: sneaky. You do have to give him points for commitment because it would not be easy to do this every single time. But also, like, you you gotta think of that person on like the 14 days left or whatever, who is like, you know, Oh, they, you can't, you can't slip up. Cause you've been doing it this long. You're like, no, no, no. If someone saw you on night 14, <laughs> like, Oh man, he saw, all right, you got me. That's fine. I will just, I'll just leave this note. This says 14 <laughs> here. It's fine. I was going to do it. it. It's cool. I'm, I'll, I'm going to go now. <laughs> right. Like doing that every night would be <laughs> difficult you need to find different ways in every time because you do the same way you're going to get figured out yeah um you need to like i don't know this this seems like a lot of effort to go to
0: yeah you had a whole bit and everything that was beautiful yeah. <laughs> oh i gotta have you on here more often <laughs> so every morning there is a new number left somewhere for him to find and no matter what he does he can never seem to catch them in the act by the time it gets down to three He's lost all hope. That's Which
1: it. he he was hoping that that hope would come back. <laughs> he <was. laughs> but he didn't.
0: Not yet. Yet. Three days. He is bound and determined that they will have to kill him before he lets them take Lucy. Though. Fair enough. I agree. Yeah. 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 Totally down with that. My my dad would do the same thing. Shout out, Dad. Love you. Um, so finally, when it's down to two days left, Jefferson shows up.
1: He slithers up.
0: He slithers up. That's true. <laughs> he does. He literally had to crawl to the door and into the house because they were watching the place. He literally like slithered like a snake. Yeah. Which, commitment. I mean, Like no, commitment to Lucy, commitment to the action, like props. Yep. Lots, lots and lots of props. Um, so uh, Jefferson tells Farrier to get Lucy ready uh, that the three of them need to get out as soon as possible. So Ferrier goes, and while he's doing that, Jefferson starts packing up food and water for them. So Farrier and Lucy come back in; uh, they're ready to go, but Ferrier is real worried that they're gonna get caught. Jefferson has his gun. He says that he'll take a few of them down with him if he has to. He says there are windows on the side of the house that, as far as he can tell, no one's watching those. So they need to go out those windows. Um, they do. They go out. The, they climb out those windows. And they creep over uh, this hedge or they have to hide in the hedge for a minute because they start to hear some voices. All right, so the voices finally move away enough for them to sneak out of the hedge, and they all run full speed across farriers' fields. Um, They make it to the road where they're able to go a lot faster and easier until they reach this really kind of narrow spot where there's a guard posted with a gun. He sees them, but he can't tell who they are too far away, and it's dark. So he calls out, you know, who goes there? And Jefferson yells, Travelers for Nevada! Uh, and the guy doesn't seem to like this answer, <laughs> and he asks them who told them they could leave, and Farrier says the Holy Four. So this guy lets them pass without getting a good look at them, and yeah, they make there, it out of Salt Lake City. There's a
1: little more to it. Like, the, when they overheard the guys earlier, they heard, like, a call sign, like a call and yes. response. And so, yeah, I so because they heard that, that when this guy gives the call, they give the proper response. So he's like, yes. okay, I guess they're good.
0: Yeah. So that's the end of chapter four. So then uh, chapter five is titled The Avenging Angels. So that doesn't really forebode well.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's really weird how, like, chapter, like, this chapter's like, you know, okay, everything's going great. And then the next chapter's like, oh, wait, no. The escape does <laughs> not go great toilets. from here
0: on. So they've been running for two days, uh, and they start to run low on supplies. So Jefferson builds Lucy and Ferrier a fire and goes off to hunt for food. He's been hunting for, like, two or three hours. No success. He sees this uh, this bighorn hanging out, so he shoots it. But it's too heavy to lift by himself, so he just like cuts off like a part of the flank and the haunch and takes it back to camp. I'm getting all of these terms from the book itself. I know nothing about slaughtering animals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so this this was the big misplay here was the probably the combination of hey let's set them up with a fire,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is very visible yeah and then Probably I'm go- not and then smart. I'm gonna like leave. yep. and then it does talk about how he does get a little bit too caught up in the yep. hunt uh, and he gets a little lost on his way back. Yep. It's um, very
0: the hobbits starting a fire on weathertop when Aragorn goes to like hunt yeah. and get food. not yep. a smart idea. It goes badly for them too.
1: yeah. <laughs> actually goes worse here, yeah, yeah no, yeah. no, no uh creepy blade in the shoulder. this no is creepy
0: blade in the shoulder.
1: Was pretty bad, but anyway, no nice well.
0: crispy bacon.
1: So when he gets back,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he gets lost, and it takes him a couple extra hours to get back. And so, by that time, he gets back. Ferrier and Lucy are gone, and the fire has pretty much gone out. Well, so he starts frantically searching for some evidence to what happened to them. The ground was all stamped down by the feet of horses, showing that a large party of mounted men had overtaken the fugitives and the direction of their tracks proved that they had afterwards turned back to Salt Lake City. Had they carried back both of his companions with them? Jefferson Hope had almost persuaded himself that they must have done so, when his eye fell upon an object that made every nerve of his body tingle within him. A little way on one side of the camp was a low-lying heap of reddish soil, which had assuredly not been there before. There was no mistaking it for anything but a newly dug grave." As the young hunter approached it, he perceived that a stick had been planted on it, with a sheet of paper stuck in the cleft fork of it. The inscription upon the paper was brief, but to the point. John Ferrier, formerly of Salt Lake City, died August 4th, 1860. So, Ferrier is dead.
1: Yeah, I will say these these guys would have to have worked pretty quick. They did. Among other things, digging a grave is not a short process. It
0: is not. Well, it doesn't say that they dug the proper yeah i mean you know like it could have just been a shallow grave we don't know that for sure
1: even that takes some effort though
0: yeah that's true there was a bunch of them though and they they all had shovels they did
1: clearly yeah that's true they did clearly you know take time to leave the leave the grave marker as well which is yeah
0: that's i mean there's got to be a little bit of credit given to that i guess oh
1: i mean i think of it more as like a warning
0: Ooh, fair point
1: but you know yeah either way it took time
0: you're not wrong all right. Well, there's no sign of Lucy. So Jefferson assumes that they've taken her to make her a wife. And he starts to wish that he was buried next to his friend, which that was a little sad moment for me. And then he decides if he can't have her, at least he can avenge her. So he starts walking back to Salt Lake City.
1: I do think this is a little bit premature decision. Like, I get it, but also, like, I don't know. At this point, I do still feel like the possibility of a of either a go-in or escape or go-in guns blazing were still present.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like he he feels like there's really not much hope that he's going to be able to save her. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to, you know. He, he loves her.
1: He definitely decides, like, right here mm-hmm. to play the long game. He does. And I don't think I'd have made that switch until like she was dead like to me i'd be like no there's still hope right now
0: i mean not much
1: not much (laughs) is 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 bad and not much but i'd still give it a try
0: yeah i can see you doing that yeah all right (laughs) so uh he gets back to salt lake city and he sees this guy that he knows named cowper and he's like you can't be here dude there's a warrant out for your arrest jefferson does not care He just wants to know what happened to Lucy, and Cowper tells him that she was married to Drebber yesterday. Pretty sure she's not the one who made that decision between the two of them. So, uh, yeah, there was a fight over who should get her, Drebber or Stangerson, and Stangerson thought that his claim was better because he was the one who shot her father. Yeah, really helps your claim, buddy. But the elders decided to marry her to Drebber instead. Cowper does not think that the marriage will last long because... He quotes, he saw death in her face yesterday. She is more like a ghost than a woman. He asks Jefferson where he's going to go. Jefferson ignores him and goes back to hole up in the mountains to plot his revenge. Okay, so you thought that was dark. You thought it had taken a bad turn. It's about to get worse. Within a month, Lucy is dead.
1: Yeah, it's a bit nonspecific as to how it kind of... Impl-
0: I, I think it's implying, like, maybe he died of a broken heart. Yeah. You know, the stress um, of, of everything, her, her watching her father get shot in front of her could not have helped. Yeah. But her husband, uh, her new husband, is not too broken up about it. He only wanted her for her dad's property. But her sister wives are actually pretty sad about it.
1: Yeah. I think the, they
0: felt sorry for her.
1: I mean, a, they, I as, mean they yeah. as they should. Yeah. There, there are people with empathy in the equation here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, these ladies were kind of awesome. They sit up with her uh, until her burial, which yep. I, that was the custom. We don't do that anymore.
1: I mean, yeah, this is just where, to me, the book does go into detail about how, like, hope is physically kind of unable to do anything right then and that's why he retreats back into the mountains Mm -hmm. to kind of regather and plan
0: i mean he doesn't have a lot of resources
1: yeah i still feel like then was his best shot because by not doing that it kind of confirmed he might have thought he had time i mean spoilers he does well he's got time for revenge yeah but he doesn't have time he doesn't have time to save her no and that would no.
0: she's dead at this point
1: it it was a month until she died yeah um, no,
0: he should have saved her. He yeah. should have tried. He to should have her. tried. Hindsight's 2020. That yeah.
1: <laughs> so, was not planned. It was not planned at it was all. was not planned at
0: all. <clears throat> we know each other way too well, Ian.
1: All right. So, okay. moving on.
0: All right. Early in the morning, all these ladies are sitting there around Lucy's body, and suddenly the door bursts open and Jefferson comes in, which, what took you so long?
1: Yeah. He, he, sure, he sure does do this bold attempt of <gasps> bursting in. Right. Just after, it would have been real nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, he kisses Lucy's forehead, and he takes her wedding ring. Gee, wedding ring. Uh, Announces that she will not be buried with that, which, good on him for that one. Uh, And then he hightails it out of there. So he hangs out in the mountains for months, and there are a couple of sneaky attempts on Drubbers and Stangerson's lives, but no one is able to catch anybody or prove anything. Just or no keep them one on their toes. These two guys keep surviving. But hiding out in the mountains is starting to take a toll on Jefferson. So he goes back to the Nevada mines to rest up and start saving money to put towards avenging Lucy. He plans to only be there about a year, but life gets in the way. Uh, And he ends up staying five years. Yep. Which, that's what could happen.
1: He hits a lot of setbacks. Yeah,
0: he does. (laughs) Five years.
1: It is important to note that, like, wealth translated into some radically different stuff back then. That's true. The ability to to travel, the ability to... Like, the one thing that kind of surprises me about how much the wealth sets him back is they establish him as kind of such a good survivalist already mm-hmm. that it is a little weird to me that it is such a huge setback a for A little him. bit. But he is against people who are who are rich. That's true. And, That's true. and they can't the afford money. to go wherever they want, and they do.
0: Yeah, these were like two of the richest guys yeah. in the community. So he gets back to Salt Lake City eventually, and he finds out that there was this, uh, the word they use is schism a few months before and uh, Drebber and Stangerson have left the church and gone to live as Gentiles. No one knows where they went, only that Drebber went away a rich man and Stangerson did not. I want to know what happened to their wives because they did not take them with them. So what happened to them? Were they married off to somebody else? Did they just like live as single ladies? Like what
1: that's probably something you could historically research.
0: I mean, well, I don't think these guys are like real historical no, but but or historical but figures.
1: but they're you know looking at what would happen when yeah. those family units dissolved and saying it is something you could look into. Yeah, all right. I you mean, know, they were, this they is they this is based on a this I is based know. on a culture that did exist. So. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah.
0: I mean, it still does, just in a different form. Yeah,
1: but the short answer it's is I don't know.
0: No. So years pass while Jefferson is searching for these jerks. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. These guys are jerks. That's <laughs> these, pretty, these two guys, frankly, Drebber and
1: Stanger. Frankly, that's a rather tame assessment, in my opinion. But sure. I mean,
0: I'm a Hufflepuff. Yeah. All right, so he finally tracks them to Cleveland, Ohio, but Drebber sees him out the window of this building that he's in, and he has him arrested. Not really sure on what grounds he has him arrested, but...
1: I'm rich. This poor guy's following me.
0: Yeah, I guess. That's a thing. So when he gets out of jail, Drebber and Stangerson have packed up their residence and gone to Europe. He follows them to St. Petersburg and then Paris, Copenhagen... Finally, follows them to London, catches up to them, and this is where we go back to our wonderful friends Watson and Holmes. And you know, gosh, I've just missed them. Yep, I
1: for half the book.
0: <laughs> this is the moment where you were like, "Oh, I am reading the right book."
1: Well, I mean, like I said, I, I I was questioning it, so I like stopped and looked up on Wikipedia. I was like, "Is this right?" And they're like, "And they're pretty much like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just stick with yep. it.
0: That happens." All right, so chapter six now a continuation of the reminiscences of John Watson, M.D. So Gregson and Lestrade arrest Jefferson, and they and Holmes and Watson all go down to the police station with him, and he wants to tell his story. And uh, one of them's like, you know, shouldn't you save that for the trial? You know, this stuff can be used against you. And Jefferson's like, yeah, I'm probably not going to make it to trial. At this point, he asks Watson if he's a doctor, and he has Watson feel his heartbeat. And Watson's like, oh, shoot, this dude's got an aortic aneurysm. Yep. Yeah. So, like, he could literally die at any minute. And he wants them to know why he did this, why he killed these men. You know, he had good reason. He tells them the whole story that we just read. And then he tells them that when he got to London, he was broke. So he got a job as a cab driver. And he started asking around, trying to find where Drebber and Sanderson were staying. He finds the boarding house which, remember, the boarding house where yep. poor Arthur got arrested. He finds the boarding house, he starts following them around wherever they go, and one day they go to a train station, and he gets up pretty close to them and can hear their conversation. They're planning on going to Liverpool, but they've already missed the first train, and the second one's not going to leave for hours. So Drebber says he has business to take care of anyway. And he tells Stangerson to wait for him at the hotel. And Stangerson is not okay with this. But then Drebber points out that he's just his hired man and he has no say. Wow. I don't like Drebber at all. Like, I don't like either of them, but I really don't like Drebber.
1: Two out of two murders approved.
0: <laughs> we are not advocating murder. Jefferson knows that this is his chance. Now that they're splitting up, it'll be easier to kill them. You should have done this when she was still alive. Just saying. So he follows Drebber to a bar where Drebber gets hammered, and then he follows him back to the boarding house. He waits for him until he hears a scuffle inside, and then Drebber and Arthur come back outside, clearly fighting. Arthur's threatening Drebber, and Drebber runs off, and he runs right to Jefferson's cab and gets in and is like, get me the heck out of here, which... What a stroke of luck for Jefferson. Yeah,
1: well, there's a there's a whole element to this story that's like divine providence of like essentially him feeling like he's the hand of justice being guided by God to bring retribution on these guys. And yeah. that is what he believes. And, and you do very much get that. And in this moment, to him, this is a very strong indication of like, this is it.
0: This is endgame.
1: Yeah, and it is. This is also the one that goes as planned.
0: Yeah, your practice route. Yep. <laughs> when is planned? Secondary murder? Not so much. So. One of the odd jobs that Jefferson had over the years while he was saving money to track these guys was a janitor at York College. And one day he heard a professor talking about a particular poison and he managed to sneak away with some of it. And apparently he knew how to make pills, which is pretty convenient. So he makes some pills with the poison and some without the poison and decides that that's how he wants to kill these guys.
1: I mean, it is important to note he did spend a lot of years prepping for for all this. So like it's one of the those things where it, i can imagine someone with this in mind doing this like uh, job, what like specifically hearing, learning these skills, hearing this and going i can use this okay like it's it doesn't it's a it doesn't, little
0: convenient but
1: <laughs> if you've got a single-minded pursuit for true i've for never so been that long.
0: single-minded about anything i don't think
1: i'm not sure anyone's been really this single-minded about much
0: i mean serial killers exist
1: i mean but even serial killers don't spend that's that's a, that's a long time to, to it target is, it two It has been victims. quite
0: a few years. Yeah, that's true. But. So,
1: like, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel like he'd probably have been intentionally picking up any little bit of, like, skills that he thought could be useful. Yeah. And that is one that he'd be like, ooh, this is it. This is how I
0: need to do it. Eh, yeah. Okay, so he takes these pills. He puts one pill of each, poison and not poison, into a container. And then his whole thing is that he's going to make them choose one to eat and he'll eat the other one, giving them a fair chance, like letting God decide which one lives and which one dies. Right.
1: It also essentially, to some extent, clears him of murder Mm. from his perspective. (laughs) To him, it's, since it's being left up to God, it is less about him.
0: It is kind of trial by combat, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, again, like I said, divine providence is a big part that plays into this character. and yeah. who he is You're and right. how he sees
0: himself. So Jefferson takes Drebber to the house on Brixton Road. And he has a key for this house because some real estate guy dropped it in his cab and he made a copy. So he gets Drebber inside and he lights a candle holds it up to his own face and asks Drebber, who am I? And of course, Drebber recognizes him immediately and is scared to death. Uh, And Jefferson tells him that one of them will not live to see the sunrise. He even starts laughing maniacally. And then his nose starts bleeding, which is where all the blood came from.
1: Yeah. He
0: did not plan to write on the walls in blood. His nose started bleeding and he was like, aha. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Connected to the aforementioned aneurysm.
0: Way to use th- your surroundings. Like, I mean, it didn't do
1: him a lot of good. No,
0: but still. <laughs> shows gumption. Uh, so Jefferson gets the pills out and shows them to Drebber. Uh, he says one is poisoned and one isn't, and he doesn't know which. But Drebber can pick which one he wants to take, and Jefferson will take the other. They'll let God judge it. Drebber doesn't want to do it. So Jefferson has to force him at knife point, and then they just stare at each other until Drebber starts to convulse. So Jefferson starts waving Lucy's wedding band in front of his face until he dies. That's a pretty personal yeah, kill.
1: You could say that. I did it say is, that. It is a, you know, interesting juxtaposition with, say, the mm-hmm. first episode of Sherlock, whose whole thing is the antagonist is, sees it as a game and mm-hmm. is like, I'm so smart that, like, you'll be trying to read me like they do know where the poison is and you're trying to read me to figure out where and it's, yeah. a, it's we're making a game of it. And it is a completely different character, completely different uh, interpretation. But it is an interesting... I like
0: Jefferson better.
1: Yeah, but it is an interesting way to repurpose this murder method,
0: I guess. It definitely pays
1: homage to the original while not being the original in any
0: way. Well, I mean, I do understand why they changed it, because they wanted to take out all the prejudice against Mormons.
1: Right, well, I mean, you could have done another... They didn't want a sympathetic antagonist in the first episode, is what they wanted, in my opinion. Because you could have right, done. I like
0: a sympathetic antagonist. You
1: could have done another way of like these people were responsible for the death of the woman I loved, and you could have done that in another way that didn't mention Mormons at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. So, so if they like, they could have done that. It's just yeah, you know, to me, it is a very different purpose to be like, hey, you know, this one very clearly wanted a sympathetic antagonist yeah,
0: for I for do I, I like a sympathetic antagonist that's just my personal opinion that... um,
1: I mean you know I like stories that change it up but I do like sympathetic yeah.
0: antagonists alright so this is where Jefferson explains the notes written in blood the blood had been streaming from my nose but I had taken no notice of it I don't know what it was that put it into my head to write upon the wall with it. Perhaps it was some mischievous idea of setting the police upon a wrong track. For I felt light hearted and cheerful. I remembered a German being found in New York with Rach written up above him, and it was argued at the time in the newspapers that the secret societies must have done it. I guessed that what puzzled the New Yorkers would puzzle the Londoners. So I dipped my finger in my own blood and printed it upon a convenient place on the wall.
1: I guess my main thing that I'm just a little surprised about is that in his situation, knowing everything he does, that he'd still have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to try to get away with this. To me, if he knows, he's barely got any time to
0: I mean, it's kind of a half attempt.
1: Yeah. And it is more of an afterthought than anything. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, why not? But, yeah. um, it's like,
0: well, you know, if I can get away with this, cool. If I, I can't, that's do, cool too. I do
1: think it matters on the first one because he yeah, still has he still unfinished has business get, and he needs yeah. to stay out. So throwing the police off for a little bit would be fine. But yeah, he does it in Sanderson the second is one. the one that killed yeah.
0: Farrier. So yeah, he's definitely got to get But him. he does
1: it in the second one too.
0: <laughs> that's true.
1: So it was one of those things where I was like, mm. I just think it's really funny that there's this weird little tagged on plot detail where it's like, yeah, he didn't really think it through.
0: So at this point, Jefferson went out to his cab and drove away. And he had driven quite a ways when he realized that he had lost the ring. So he went back to the house and he nearly ran smack into John Rance, which is the policeman who found Drebber's body. Uh, So he had to pretend to be drunk so that he didn't get arrested. So lo and behold, Sherlock was right. The drunk yep. man was the murderer.
1: This guy is pretty good at improv though. Yeah, true. <laughs> like like his plans are not super great and meticulous. He's just kind of good, <laughs> good at
0: at, at, improv- at improv-
1: improvising and fumbling on his yeah. pants.
0: Yeah. Alright, so then Jefferson tracked Stangerson to the hotel room, where he gave him the same choice of the two pills. This did not go the way he planned. Stangerson would not play along. He attacked Jefferson, and Jefferson had to stab him in self-defense. So, that's the end of Jefferson Hope's story, really. Like, he's finished telling everything, he's scheduled to appear in court the following Thursday. So Holmes and Watson go back to the apartment, and that's the end of Chapter 6. So then we have Chapter 7, the conclusion. No trial. We learn that on the night after Jefferson Hope was arrested, his aneurysm burst, and he was found dead in his cell with a smile on his face. Again with the faces. The faces. Yep. Yeah. So then we get into Sherlock explaining to Watson how he figured everything out. He says, Men who die from heart disease or any sudden natural cause never by a chance exhibit agitation upon their features. "'Having sniffed the dead man's lips, I detected a slightly sour smell, "'and I came to the conclusion that he had had poison forced upon him. "'Again, I argued that it had been forced upon him "'from the hatred and fear expressed upon his face. "'By the method of exclusion, I had arrived at this result, "'for no other hypothesis would meet the facts.' I don't know how scientifically factual this is in the world that we currently live in that exists.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like we mentioned before, we don't know. We don't know. I'd be interested any, to hear. Any
0: listeners that actually, like, know the answer to this, please, Facebook, hit us up okay so Holmes had asked Gregson at the crime scene if he had inquired in his telegram to Cleveland about Drebber's occupation and Gregson had not done so so Sherlock took it upon himself telegrammed Cleveland to ask and found out that Drebber had already talked to the police there about an old rival named Jefferson Hope who happened to be in Europe so that's how he figured out who Jefferson Hope was Holmes says I had already determined in my own mind that the man who had walked into the house with Drebber was none other than the man who had driven in the cab the marks in the road showed me that the horse had wandered out in a way which would have been impossible had there been anyone in charge of it where then could the driver be unless he were inside the house again it is absurd to suppose that any sane man could carry out a deliberate crime under the very eyes as it were of a third person who was sure to betray him lastly supposing one man wished to dog another through london what better means could he adopt than turn cab driver totally agree on that last sentence yep, for sure that is a really good idea So uh, Holmes' next step was to put the street kids on the trail to find the cab driver, and that's exactly what they did. Watson is astonished and tells Holmes that he should publish an account of the case detailing how he solved it. Holmes does not care. He doesn't want to mess with that at all. But he tells Watson that he doesn't care if he wants to write about it. So that is the end to our start to the great Sherlock Holmes series.
1: Yeah, so in tons of ways, this was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm
0: -hmm. Except for the Western. Except
1: for the one way. (laughs) (laughs) which was half the book. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me, but the thing that kind of clicks for me Mm -hmm. is the fact that essentially a mystery story was a, pretty new format at this point they yes. do mention contemporaries uh earlier on in the in the story um they do mention dupont which is uh, a growl and poe's detective character uh yeah. from like the Perloin that's true and they did like I, yeah i, I forgot um, about
0: that you're right they did mention that
1: so like and watson's like so you're like that guy and he's like no i'm not like that guy <laughs> <laughs> um it's like
0: that guy wasn't nearly as cool as me that's
1: insulting so yeah there are a few elements there but this was still a pretty new format mysteries weren't we're only kind of just catching on, Mm -hmm. which is obviously why Sherlock Holmes kind of set so many precedents and caught on so much. But that first half was kind of the risk, right? Was the, hey, here's this story that we think you'll enjoy of like following these two, trying to solve the stuff. Mm -hmm. The second half was much more of what you'd expect to see in these literary journals. These, like, yeah. dramas, the where you like, the unfolding of, like, revenge tragedy, essentially. Right. That yeah, happens... it is very
0: Count of Monte Cristo in that right. way. Yeah.
1: Which happens to connect back into the previous journal's installment of, like, oh, like, so now we're getting the, the answer behind this whole thing. And so today, it really defies format. But at the time, there wasn't a format to defy if anything, the second half of this as its own story would have been less risky than the first half on its own. But it is not what I expected because any version of this story I've seen before has been a a mystery through Mm -hmm. and through. It hasn't really stopped. There's no Western. Yeah. So I was very confused (laughs) with that shift.
0: I mean, you don't typically think of Sherlock Holmes and Westerns in the same sentence.
1: I do think, by today's standards, this format is strange. It but, is.
0: But I don't know. But it wasn't written up to stand up to today's standards. No, but
1: it is funny the ways it did and mm-hmm. didn't conform to what I expected it to.
0: Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I did. Good. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I, another thing I did want to mention, though, is what is the... I forget the term. There's a term that's like the elegant mystery or the that, you know, mystery writers kind of use where the whole concept is like, Before the answer is revealed, the reader has been given all the information they need to solve the case. And this doesn't really fit that. No, no, Um, definitely not. A lot of Sherlock Holmes stories do, but again, that's something this was an early enough format that it took a little bit to refine that formula and find that that's what people wanted. They wanted to have a shot at solving the case before the answer got revealed. And, you know, you see a lot of Agatha Christie novels do this, which Agatha Christie started her career more around the time Doyle's was ending. But, yeah, this predates that formula a little bit. I enjoyed
0: it. All right, well, thanks, guys, for hanging out with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, too. We hope that you enjoyed the book, and we hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about the book. If you didn't, I guess, don't listen anymore. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time.
1: Indeed. Bye.
0: Bye. If you have questions, comments, or you'd like to support the show, Please find us on facebook.com/slash redhead reads podcast. Thanks for listening.